Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Success 101 podcast. So, so excited to be here with you guys today, and that is an understatement. First, I want to let you guys know my book is still available for only the shipping cost here in the United States for the paperback version or the ebook reader. If you want to dive more into the six vision building exercises, the five components for creating your strategy, and what so many of you have commented on as far as getting your year off to an amazing start, really resetting how you go about vision casting, goal planning, thinking outside the box, creating a bigger why, head to success101podcast.com forward slash book and at the checkout coupon section or promo code enter success 101. If you're in the United States, check the paperback version. You'll get that for just the shipping cost. If you're outside of the United States, select the ebook reader. You'll snag that for about the same cost. And I cannot wait to hear you guys come back with your comments and thoughts of how it's changing your path toward peak performance. Go grab your copy today. Guys, this episode is also brought to you today by Ample. My good friends at Ample have created the ultimate meal replacement shake that helps me on my pursuit toward peak performance each day with both my brain and body. My good friends over at Ample, specifically Connor Young, have designed such an incredible meal replacement drink from ingredients all over the world that have been sourced so that you don't have to go find them yourself. You don't have to blend. You don't have to chop. You don't have to prepare. I like to grab mine in the morning, put a little bit of cold milk in that thing, put a little bit of ice in it. You can grab your 400 or 600 calorie shake. By heading to success101podcast.com forward slash ample, that's A-M-P-L-E, and at checkout, you're going to put in success101 to snag 15% off of this awesome goodness in a bottle. I can talk about it all day long, but guys, you've got to go experience this for yourself. It's something I honestly can't stop talking about, even off the mic. And don't take my word for it. Head to success101podcast.com forward slash ample. You'll be able to see all the nutrition facts. And I want you guys to go grab your own order today and try it on me for 15% off. Now, on to our incredible episode today with Bedros. This is one that I was super excited to bring you guys. As you'll hear today, Bedros is a teacher. He's a mentor. He's someone with ownership and equity in several multi-million dollar generating businesses, franchising, health education, business consulting. He does a little bit of all of it. Go look at his track record of success. Bedros knows how to bring it all together and really does the work of multiple people and knows how to package that into a high intensity, high impact message based on where he's come from. I don't want to get too far into this. I want the episode to speak for itself. But when you go from being a son of an immigrant, you're coming over, you're eating out of trash cans, and then you go and do all of the things that I just mentioned, beating the adversity, beating the odds as an immigrant in this country, coming over legally, and then seeing a vision and watching what his dad did and watching what his family did. Again, I don't want to let too much out. I want this episode to speak for itself. So let's go ahead and get right into this episode. So without any further delay, let's jump right into my conversation with the one and only Bedros Koulian. Bedros, how are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you, Jared. I know you and I are, are good friends with uh, Craig Ballantyne. My listeners have really loved his message in the Perfect Day Formula. And I know we're going to get a ton from you today, from your story of where you came from, your background, both just culturally and from a financial or lack thereof standpoint, and really what you've turned your business and your life into today. And so much of your message goes along so well with mine. And so I'm so excited for my listeners to hear from you. But uh, why don't we dive into your original story back from whenever you were a child over in communist Russia, 
Uh, a lot of times I try to stay away from, let's go all the way back to your history. But I think with you, we have to. I think we have to go all the way back so our listeners get a feel of where it is you're coming from, what you've accomplished, what you've done, and how you came to the U.S. Why don't you take us back and, uh, and walk us through that? Yeah, yeah, no worries. And so I, people always tell me, like, what, what's your background? And I always tell them, listen, I'm the immigrant edge and I'm the American dream. And what I mean by that is I was fortunate enough that my dad decided to risk it all. And in 1980, when I was six years old, we escaped communist Soviet Union and came to the United States. Now, even though my dad was a member of the Communist Party, he was not anywhere near what a communist is as far as the way he thought, the way he operated, the way he lived and escaped with his family of five. So we came to this country. We didn't speak English. We were poor. We were broke. We didn't understand the culture. We had no place to live. He chose Southern California because unlike the Soviet Union, Armenia, specifically where we were at, um, there was there was so much snow and so much cold weather. He said, you know, California is where I want to be. And that was all he knew about this place. And so we came and literally on, on the second day, we were living in someone's spare bedroom in their apartment, a family of five living in someone's spare bedroom. And the guy said, you have 30 days to stay with us. And after that, you got you to gotta leave. And so... By day two, my mom and dad both had multiple jobs delivering newspapers, washing dishes. My older brother and sister were pumping gas and working at a pizzeria washing dishes. And since I was the baby of the family, I was six years old, my dad had found that these grocery stores have massive dumpsters behind them. And uh, they throw away food that's expired or maybe that's a little bit moldy or gone bad, but isn't fully bad yet. And so... My dad and all his brilliance decided, you know what? We don't have enough money for food and to save up for rent money for when we move out of this guy's apartment. So we're just going to get our food from the dumpster. So my dad would put me into the wow. dumpster. He'd lift me up, put me into the dumpsters, and I'd pick out the bread and the cheese and the lettuce. And we'd, my dad would bring it home and my mom would pick off the mold or you know all the kind of crappy leaves of lettuce she would pull off. And finally, there was like a tiny bit of good lettuce under there and we would eat it. And that's how we lived. In fact, dude, I remember a time um, by this point, I was probably seven and a half, maybe eight years old. So a couple years into being in the country, we had moved out. We had probably moved to, at this point, six to seven different apartments. We just kept getting kicked out because uh, my parents couldn't afford rent. And so we'd get evicted. But um, this one apartment complex was so nasty and so just beat up that I, I got lice the, the two or three days after we moved in there. And my mom and dad couldn't afford lice treatment. And so my mom had my dad siphon out gasoline from, from the car. And she took me out in the middle of the grassy area in the apartment complex. And she washed my hair with gasoline. Uh, Holy cow. Lice treatment. But this is how we grew up. But I wouldn't change that for the world because I got this thing that I call the immigrant edge, which is this ability to get resourceful when you don't have resources. Like, just imagine as a parent that you have to pump gasoline, siphon gasoline out of a car and get resourceful because you can't afford lice treatment. Or you have to go dumpster diving because you can't afford to buy food. Um, and so you do have to get creative. And all of those skills that I learned of resourcefulness, I use as an entrepreneur. Ironically, when I deal with a entrepreneurial challenge, just like most entrepreneurs do, uh, currently the Federal Trade Commission uh, last year put us through an audit because our franchise was growing quickly. Well, you know, we didn't do anything illegal, but we went through an audit because we were above the norm as far as our growth was concerned. And so we went through the audit. That was definitely a challenge for us. It definitely took a lot of resources, 
but I can overcome adversity, I believe, better than most people because I've had to overcome so much adversity, both language barrier, culture barrier, financial, uh, friends, going to different schools. I've been to so many, three elementary schools, two junior highs, two high schools. And so all these things have effectively, effectively forged me into a great entrepreneur, and I'm so grateful for it that when people go, doesn't it suck that you have to have your hair washed with gasoline and you moved around so much and you didn't have friends? And I go, no, man, all of that to me was a great trade-off for this experience and lesson that I learned. That's amazing. You know, I've heard Zig Ziglar say before, back whenever he was alive and doing all of his speaking and conferences, that immigrants who come to the United States are nine times on average more likely to be successful as far as running businesses or building wealth or you know, fill in the blank, whatever you want to use there than people who are already living here. And that's exactly why. It's the test. It's the stretching. It's, you know, it's like the rubber band. You want to make sure you stretch and you test. It's like working out. It's like anything else. Yeah. And those are the times that have forged into who you are today. You know, we as the just the human race, our brain is designed and wired to keep us alive and to conserve energy. But then also in that keeping us alive, it's the fight or flight. Most of the time we flight. You know, we want to avoid pain. We don't want to get into certain things. But it's coming through that forging and it's coming through that shaping that people have. I mean, this is probably one of the most dramatic stories I've heard. I've never heard of anybody having their uh, head washed and getting lice out with gasoline. That's amazing. Well, let's take a step back here. What year what would that have been when you guys came to the United States with your family? Uh, June 16th, 1980, we entered the United States. We were in uh, JFK. The next, We literally slept at JFK airport. And the next day we caught our connecting flight to Southern California, to LAX. So June 17th, we were in Southern California. And um, so I just think it's amazing. You know, the, the American, you know, so many people say the American dream, you know, whatever, 1980. Okay. If we frame that for people, there's no internet. There's no cell phones, uh, I, I would think. People are not as tolerant. Then. Let me tell you that. People were not as tolerant as they are today, meaning really? I, I can probably tell you about three dozen times that we got yelled at by people at a grocery store or gas station at the apartment complex. Go back to your own country, you effing foreigner, right? And Wow. Listen, that's to me, that's more adversarial training. I, I built my adversity muscles stronger because of dealing with that. And- See, today people go, oh, you know, racism is bad. Race, uh, uh, listen, racism is bad. Bigotry is bad. All that is bad. But you could either piss and moan about it, or you can say, you know what? This is helping me become stronger, tougher, and deal with the realities of life. Um, as a little kid, when you see people literally kicking your father out, kicking your brother out of a store and saying, get the F out of here, you effing foreigner. Go back to your own country. You're stealing our jobs. I'm, I'm, you know, my dad's like, what job? I'm delivering newspaper at two in the morning, pumping gas at six in the morning. You guys don't want that. But right. you, you get stronger, man. Like you said, it's like that rubber band. You get so much stronger. You build so much resilience that when you grow up and you have a small business, a medium-sized, a big business, it doesn't matter. You deal with adversity and you welcome that. Yeah. And, and you probably could have told them the same thing. Hey, you go back to your own country as well because we're all here right. uh, on some level. Yeah. And <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't know that back then, yeah. of course. <laughs> and we haven't even tackled how you lived uh, before the age of six. I want to make sure that we we hit that as well, because all the listeners are hearing right now is what forged you in. Uh, you had actually had a harder story than most people because you went from a very luxurious, from what I understand, lifestyle into what you're describing to us now. So let's not forget about that. But I think it's interesting that you guys could have gone anywhere near Russia. Plane tickets wouldn't have cost as much. Maybe people there, I don't know, that you could have even connected to even a better way culturally, you know, whatever. Why the United States and how in the world did you guys find this place that you got to stay for for 30 days without having any connection over here whatsoever? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a really good question. So 
I'll answer that question first. My dad had a friend in Armenia who knew a guy in California and just through that connection, like, hey, I've got a friend coming to California. Can He's going to have probably a couple hundred dollars. Whatever money he has in his pocket, can he give you to stay in your house? It's a family of five. They'll sleep anywhere in your house. And so through this one connection, my dad's friend's friend here in California was like, sure, but he can only stay here for 30 days with his family because I've got a family of four myself. So you can imagine our family of five, his family of four, nine people living in a two-bedroom apartment in uh, Cypress, California, not too far away from where I am now. Thank God that guy was kind enough to do that for his friend, which helped us out because I think my dad said we had like $284 in his pocket uh, by the time he was done paying off, you know, he had to pay off the Russian consul to let us go into Italy. Then from the, from Italy, we went into the American consul, did whatever paperwork was necessary to enter this country legally. And my dad always makes me and wants me to explain that we entered this country legally. And when you enter this great country legally, you care more for about, about it and you, and you give back to it. Uh, I believe that as well, just like my dad. And so all that cost us more money than we thought we were going to pay. So we rolled into the United States with just over, you know, just under $300. And this guy was kind enough to take us in. But going back to the earlier question, dude, we lived because my dad was a member of the Communist Party, not by choice. Well, technically by choice, because, you know, they ask you, hey, uh, do you want to be a member of the Communist Party? You technically can say no. But if you say no, you're being shipped off to Siberia and never to be seen again. So, of course, when they asked him that in 1968, he said yes. So he was part of the 18% of the population who was a Communist Party member, which gave him a lot of rights. 18%? Yeah, wow. 18%, I didn't realize that. Yeah, at the time of, of the Soviet populace was actual party member at his level where you he could literally walk into any store, any shop and inspect them and see if you're selling stuff under the table. Because remember, every business was owned by the government, right? And so we lived well, man. I remember waking up in the mornings. My mom would have tea and uh, French bread with butter and caviar. So... There was this complete 180 of lifestyle. I went from eating caviar in the mornings in Armenia to the next day being in the United States and, okay, 48 hours later, dumpster diving and eating out of the dumpster, not trying to figure out what the hell's going on, right? But my dad was so so Americanized. I remember him wearing Ray-Bans, Jordache jeans, uh, Adidas shoes in Armenia, and he got that off the, out of the black market. And so he was Americanized in Armenia. So he just loved the American way and he was going to get here hell or high water and he got us here. What it, I mean, I hope the listeners really are framing this for just the first, you know, what, six years of your life. And then, you know, like you said, dumpster diving, washing your hair out with gasoline to get rid of lice, $248. I mean, this is, we, we really don't have any excuses. I mean, anybody today, especially today, I mean, that was 1980s, right? Especially today with technology, yeah. social media. I mean, there's so many people moping around and I'm not being judgmental to anybody. I'm just saying there's so many people moping around today about wanting a chance. And it's like, wake up. The chance is there. It's right. At, I mean, listen to Bedros's story, guys. I mean, this is this is how you make it happen. I'd love to know. This is going to sound like a really generic question. I don't mean it that way, but I do want to know the answer. What did you What did you really learn from that? I mean, I know you know you can use the words tenacity and stick tootiveness and patience and you know all, and maybe that's what it is. But I don't know. I just I think for you to go through that and then for what our listeners are going to find out here in a few minutes that you're already go, that you're going through right now. And the things that you're doing with your businesses, I think there's, I don't know, there's something maybe unique to you in, on top of all of that, I'm saying, that's, that's really helping with that. Listen, Jared, I'll be fully transparent, man. The political, politically correct thing to say is tenacity. And the reality is what I learned was that life is unfair. Life is unfair. Nobody owes you anything. 
the truth is that you have to fend for yourself. And sometimes when you come to a brand new country and it hasn't been as evolved as it is today, you develop a thicker skin, you learn how to take care of yourself, you see that no one owes you anything. And at some point you get a chip on your shoulder because you grow up seeing your family being told, get the F out of this country. And you use that chip on your shoulder one of two ways. You either become a criminal, cause problems, and become a burden to society, or you use that chip on your shoulder to say, I'm going to create so much wealth. I'm going to make such a big impact. And that's what I chose to do. And to me, money is a vehicle to freedom. So much opportunity. My sister works for me. My brother works for me. They're all, they're both One's 14 years older than me, one's 16 years older than me. My mom and dad travel first class wherever they go. Um, I have a chauffeur that drives them around. I am not apologetic about any of that. When I was eating out of dumpsters and having my hair washed with gasoline and wearing a shirt that said Herman because of the Munsters, if you remember that we just found that out of the dumpster, my mom put it on me. Dude, no one was calling me Bedros. My name was Herman, right? And, and so I will use money for the charities and causes that I believe in. I support veteran causes because I value our military, because this military fights for the citizens, not for the government. And so people don't realize that. So what I learned is sometimes you're going to have a chip on your shoulder from anger and rage and from people not treating you equally. You have a choice with what you can do with that anger and rage and that chip on your shoulder. Or you can be a complete ass and be destructive and blame it on your bad childhood and your aggressive upbringing. That's, that's really the lesson that I can impart with you here. That point you just made reminds me of the story. Uh, I don't even remember where I heard this from, but it's like, you know, somebody said, hey, my, you know, I, I'm, I'm homeless and I'm, I can't find a job. I can't make any money. I can't do whatever because my dad was an alcoholic. And then the brother, the twin brother's out building an empire. And he said, my dad was an alcoholic. I had to do this. How else would I have survived? It's just, it's that difference of what your circumstances are and what you, what you build it into. Where did you take it from there as you, as you progressed into young adulthood and then finally into an adult and started actually understanding business, understanding how things work? Well, I'll tell you what, I got, I got really fortunate where I accidentally fell into my space, into the fitness space. And what I, what I mean by that is when you grew up eating government assisted food, because, and then right, right around the late eighties, nineties, early nineties, we started getting government assistance. And by this point, my mom and dad, you know, we were doing, you know, they had a small little tailor shop. We were doing well, but we were still buying the cheapest quality food, bologna, you know, the, the fake Velveeta cheese, the, the white bread. So I really didn't have a strong, healthy diet to live off of. And of course, you know, my parents didn't see sports or athletics as something that was a priority for me to be in. They just wanted to provide a roof over my head. So I was inactive. I was eating, eating crap. And by the time I was in high school, I was 35 pounds overweight and, you know, kids can be cruel. And because I jumped around to many schools, I didn't have the same friends growing up. And so I literally went to two different high schools. You know, when you make a transition, the last three years of my high school um, time was in one high school and um, I didn't have a lot of friends. So I was that awkward kid walking around by himself uh, during lunch. And I knew that prom was coming up. This was now let's see, it was junior year. I knew prom was coming up next year. And the one friend that I had in science class, I was like, hey man, what is it going to take for me to make it to prom? He goes, dude, if you just lose some weight, um, you ask out a girl, you're more likely to hear the word, yes, I'll go to prom with you. So guess what? The summer before senior year, I started reading Muscle and Fitness Magazine, Flex Magazine, started eating higher protein, lower sugars and carbs. For you know it, I started working out harder. And then those three months, I lost 30 some odd pounds 
And I came back senior year in better shape, more confident, uh, higher self-esteem, made eye contact with people. And while I had all this confidence, Jared, I didn't have the nerve to ask out Nakaya to the prom. I had the hots for this girl named Nakaya. To be honest, I, I think she would have said yes, but I never had the guts to ask her out. So I never went to prom, but I realized that more than the physical change, the emotional, mental change that working out and being fit and strong, what that gave me, I wanted to share with the world. So I said, as soon as I get out of high school, I'm gonna become a certified personal trainer and help as many people as I can. Now, little did I know that you gotta learn to market and sell. And so by the time I was 21, 22 years old, I was a personal trainer, a fry cook at Disneyland, and a uh, bouncer at a gay, gay club. Because uh, the gay club paid more than the straight club. People ask me, like, why at a gay club? Well, skinheads used to come to, to gay bash at night. And it was our job as bouncers to make sure there was no gay bashing happening in the parking lot. So I guess that's worth an extra $3. <laughs> <laughs> what? Hey, listen, man, when you're that broke, it was. And right. all, all I wanted to do was train clients. But I, I thankfully, one of my clients, personal training clients, took mercy on me and said, hey, look, you don't know how to sell. You don't know how to market. Start listening to these tapes. And he gave me, you know, uh, Tom Hopkins sales tapes and Brian Tracy and, wow. and Zig Ziglar. And, and dude, that opened up a whole new world of, oh, that's how you sell your services. There's things that are evolving all the time, but then a lot of times you go back to there's nothing new under the sun. Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, uh, those, I, those guys changed my life. Zig Ziglar, especially. And I don't use those words lightly. I mean, I, I would have gone to an early grave. I would have made everyone miserable around me. I probably would have lost my family. I'm just guessing here. Zig Ziglar showed me that the world's kind of crappy around you, but man, look at all the things we have to be grateful for. And I'm so thankful for their, you know, Ziegler Media carrying that on today. So I think in your story, I'd read at one point, you failed like three times to get certified as a fitness oh. instructor, and then maybe even lost a couple of businesses or failed to launch a couple of businesses once you got into the fitness gig. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So here's how that went. That's why I said by the time I was 22, I was, uh, I was a personal trainer. So I get out of school at 18. I failed the American Council on Exercise certification exam three times. It was the fourth time that I finally got certified. And again, this was pre-online stuff, right? So it wasn't like you take an online test. The reality is I just, school wasn't for me. Education system wasn't for me. Ironically, I now spend about 80 to 100,000, maybe a little bit more. But this, my own self-education, I've never stopped. And so I've become the master of influence, persuasion, rapport building, uh, selling from the stage, and I only keep getting better. But dude, I, I, I just failed at the certification three times. The fourth time I barely passed. I go high five myself that I'm a certified trainer, then realized that I still need two side jobs to make ends meet and um, decided that I'm going to open up a supplement company. Now, by this point, we're talking 1998, 1999. Uh, internet's just starting. Right. I've got one of the first online supplement businesses, but there's no Google. So my supplement yeah, company- You got failed. it, but nobody can find you. Yeah. And, and you know- <laughs> Dude, supplements expire, right? So if you can't sell them, they have an expiration date. And so I was that guy. I was like, well, I don't need to eat regular food. I can just eat the protein shakes and the and the protein bars. <laughs> but you can only eat so many protein, drink so many protein shakes and so many protein bars. You have to throw them away. And so before you know it, I was evicted and I was living out of my Toyota pickup because I used the last of my rent money to buy more supplements. And I'm curious about your your parents. You mentioned a second ago, you said my parents really didn't care about sports. And you started getting in sports. They really didn't care about that. They just wanted me to, uh, I can't remember exactly how you phrase it, but they, they just wanted uh, you they to- They wanted a and, roof over my head. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and go and, and prosper and you know all the reasons that your dad risked so much to come over here, right? What are they saying at this point? I mean, 
if fitness, you know, the fitness industry, you go all the way back to Arnold and, you know, all that, especially out in California. I mean, there's, there's awareness around that, but now you're doing supplements. I'm sure at that time people aren't into that like they are now, especially online. And you're probably telling them I'm trying to run this online business. I mean, what were they saying at that point? Thankfully, they were just, they left me alone. And I think my, both my mom and dad knew that I have a little bit of what my dad has, which is I'm going to go and be a pioneer and go to uncharted territories. Both my brother and sister uh, decided to go to college here in the States. Um, and one became a real estate agent. The other one became a customer support person. Ironically, they both work for me now because now one does, sister does customer support for my products. And my brother is a real estate agent, but he buys all of my commercial and residential properties that I have as rental properties. And, uh, and manages yeah, that, that was the other thing I was going to mention is you're trying to do this, uh, this pioneering, you know, as you mentioned type thing and not going to college, whereas the other siblings, it, it now comes, comes out that they are, I'm sure, I don't know. I'm just, as a parent, I'm sure they were like, man, what is better us doing? I mean, we, they were worried, but they kept seeing that he's got bounce back ability. And I think my dad was secretly proud of me he, he because they never pressured me. They're just like, Hey, are you okay? Are you doing good? You know, so-and-so is going to pharmacy school. So-and-so's daughter is going to uh, dental hygienist school. Uh, would that benefit you? No, dad, I'm good. I'm going to figure this out. Okay. And they knew I was up late at night working out of my bedroom on this Toshiba laptop that was looked like a giant brick, <laughs> right? And the battery would die in like 30 minutes. But man, I was trying to figure it out. And my dad, thankfully, had enough foresight to not pressure me about it. He would check in with me like, yeah, you know, so-and-so. Armenians especially are this way because they brag about their children. Well, my, my kid's going to be a physical therapist. Oh, my kid's going to be a pharmacist. My kid's going to be a dental hygienist. And my dad would check in with me. Hey, so how's the supplement business? Like, well, you know, uh, no bueno, not good. All right, well, how's the DJ business? Because believe it or not, I actually used to DJ a little bit too. Um, uh, that's not good either. Well, how's it going to Disneyland as a fry cook? Uh, I don't like it there, dad, because you know they're making me shave my sideburns up because if it's too low, then they get pissed off. Well, what are you doing with your personal training business? Well, that's not working, so I'm also a bouncer at this bar, Dad. But he just, he wasn't necessarily super supportive, like, hey, son, you got this, because that's not how communist Armenian parents are. But he was also, like, wouldn't pressure me into, hey, go be a mechanic or go be a dental hygienist. It was just, okay, I, I believe you're going to figure this out. And he gave me enough time, and I did. Man, that's so interesting. I, I think a lot of people in today's time, you know, especially if their parents risk so much, they come over, their siblings that are older than them, they're watching them do stuff. You know, it's just that natural pull of like, man, I got to stop doing what I got to I got to follow the crowd. And I always think it's interesting, those people that say, you know what, I'm going to be a pioneer. I'm going to I'm going to do something totally different. I'm sure there were times where you were like, man, what am I doing? Like, is this going to make it? Is it going to survive? I, I, not good. Fry cook. Not good. What? OK, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go get a job doing something else. It's amazing. You stuck with it. Here, here's what's crazy, Jared. If, if you if you Google the name Oscar Martinez and Disneyland, You'll see that Oscar Martinez, who was my dinner cook. So when I was a busman, he was the dinner cook. When I was a fry cook, he was the dinner cook. He was in charge of the Carnation Cafe Main Street restaurants. He just retired this week uh, after 60 years of service to Disney. The, the man is legend. And so he's going to have his name on one of the windows on the buildings on Main Street. I, I, I remember being a doggone fry cook and thinking, man, I'm working at Disneyland, the Magic Kingdom. People like I took my friend there to go get a job. And they didn't hire my friend and they hired me. He, he goes, hey, while you're here, you don't have a job. Why don't you apply? Because uh, your personal training business isn't cutting it. Um, you know, you can work a few hours. And they hired me. So I was so fortunate to get in there when most people couldn't. Yet I couldn't wait to leave and just be a personal trainer. There was one time that my dad was like, listen, things aren't working out. Now you're living out of your car. Maybe you want to take on the family 
business, which he had a tiny little tailor shop in Anaheim, and he was trying to get me to become a tailor. Man, I knew that was not my path, and I remember he was so heartbroken that he couldn't pass the business along to me because the business did get him a house, and it got him a couple of small rental properties over you know a 30-year period. Wow. Um, so to I him, said, that, was, that was every, that was his everything that he had built up. That was. He raised our, our family on, on that little tailor shop. And um, I said, Dad, I don't want it. You know, I think I've got a different path. i got to figure it out. I know it's in fitness, but apparently just being in shape isn't enough to get clients. I'll figure this out. And thankfully, one of my personal training clients took mercy on me and just started bringing me all these sales tapes. And it, it changed my life, man. That's amazing. And, and, you know, I'm just curious, everybody who wired so differently, but, you know, I'm just curious, other people get sales tapes and don't really do a whole lot with it. What was it that just really connected with you? You know, I'll tell you what even got me to listen to those tapes is, um, so the guy that brought them to me, his name is Jim Franco. He was a personal training client. He would work out with me Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, I worked in a big box gym and I could see outside because it was a big giant glass double doors. And I could see he would pull up in a SUV. The next day he would pull up in a Mercedes sedan. It's like, wow, you know, this guy has multiple cars, comes here at two in the afternoon. Uh, Hey Jim, what do you do? He says, and he said, I take a little bit of money from a lot of people. And I said, can you tell me more than that? He goes, well, I own a software company in the automotive industry and um, I charge people a subscription. And there's all these automotive mom and pop automotive parts stores, um, auto parts stores that pay me money. I said, okay, got it. And so I said, well, how do I become like you, but in the fitness industry? He goes, well, you know, you're an order taker. You're not a salesman. You took my order. I just wanted personal training and you sold me what I wanted. I can imagine how many people that you could sell that you let walk. I said, well, what do I do? He goes, listen to the sales tape. And so I wanted to be like him so much that if he said, go jump off the bridge, I would have done that. Right. And so but once I listened to my first Tom Hopkins tape, I was hooked and I said, Jim, what next? He goes, Brian Tracy, what next? Zig Ziglar, what next? Dan Kennedy, what next? Jay Abraham. And then I remember Jay Abraham talking about this guy named Tony Robbins. Said, well, Tony Robbins. And so now I went from this, you know, kind of pessimistic guy to now I'm all about optimism and the glasses has half full and changing my state, <laughs> right. right? Versus other trainers. I, I had this unfair advantage of salesmanship and, and, and learning to market on top of optimism. Watch out, man. I'm like a supercharged race car at that point. What does your consulting business look like today? What what do you spend most of your, what are you striving for? What's your vision there? Uh, so my consulting business, I just really help. Uh, I love helping entrepreneurs that have challenging businesses like mine, like like a franchise. It's a fitness franchise. It's a pretty competitive space in the fitness franchise space. And we're opening one location per day. Just to give you an idea, we've been franchised since 2012. We've got 600 locations. We're in nine countries. We're opening you know 30 franchises a month or one a day. Starbucks, which has been around since 1974, they're opening two locations a day. So if you look at our rate of growth, I mean, it's it's astronomical. And it's because of the mindset that I learned through adversity and resilience as a, as a kid when we came here. It's from what Jim Franco, those cassette tapes that my personal training client gave me. It's from not wanting to be a bouncer or a fry cook, knowing that that wasn't my purpose and path. God bless Oscar Martinez for giving 60 years of his life. And he, when he, he was my dinner cook, he showed up every morning early, like an hour before his shift. And he was there. He was happy. He was whipping up the, the pancake batter. And that wasn't me, man. I was the guy that rolled in right on time. So I knew that I wasn't going to be an Oscar Martinez. Right. 
you know, and so many things led to this level of success. So I love working with clients now who have challenging businesses like mine, like a supplement company that's doing nine figures, like the New York Times bestselling author, who's a two-time New York Times bestselling author, but until last year, wasn't making that much money until I said, you do realize you can leverage your social media following and start a mastermind and quickly make a million dollars a year with about 80% profit margins. He goes, no, no, I can't do it. Within three phone calls, I taught him, I gave him the three emails that he needs to send out. Uh, we role-played phone closing and he reached out to the social media following and his email list and he got, let's see, 28 people on board at $3,500 a month and has a near seven-figure mastermind. And so I love working with people who are high performers, but they haven't reached their fullest potential yet. And I look at it as a different Rubik's Cube that I get to solve. Man, that's awesome. I know I want to cover your book, uh, Man Up, that's coming out uh, next year, I believe in 2018. One of the things I want to ask first, though, is, you know, whenever I work with people who are millionaires, a couple of billionaires in there, people that just came from this story, and I and I went through this a little bit in the sense that when you're younger, it's the tenacity, it's the grind it out. And then all of a sudden, at some point, you get the world's pressures on you. Okay, so what I love to ask people is, at the point that you've gotten to now, Obviously, you've got a lot of help around you managing it all because you're just one one person. And we all know that no matter how tenacious you are, you can't really manage all of that, even if it's just the stress of it. But I know you're a big routines and, and ritual guy. I know you're a big gratitude uh, exercise type guy. I would love to know just what you're feeding off of right now from the time your eyes open up in the morning to the time. You know, what is fueling you? What is keeping you? I mean, for lack of better words, what's keeping you sane with everything you've got going on around you? What routines are you building in to keep your mind fresh, to keep your optimism up, your energy up, those sort of things. I think our listeners could take a lot away from that. Absolutely, man. When you are, when you are, you know, literally building a, a what's going to be a $300 million company here with our Fit Body Bootcamp location. Um, I mean, we're literally on pace over the next four years to be a $300 million company, which I'm very grateful for and blessed Congratulations. for. Congratulations. That's you awesome. Know, I have 1,800 coaching clients, right, who pay me an obscene amount of money. Some of them give have given me equity in their businesses, which I, again, appreciate. And, and we scale those businesses quickly. I've got a great team of about 40 people here at the headquarters who I kind of call fighter jets. And that's the only way to describe them, Jared. It's we're not crop dusters. We are fighter jets. We are high performance machines. So I got two VPs um, and each VP sees a, a group of leaders. And the, those leaders each have you know web developers that work for them, traffic buyers, sales department, operations, customer support, compliance, right? Because the Federal Trade Commission oversees our franchise. So we have compliance department, et cetera. And I, I get to meet with my two VPs every day for 30 minutes, and then they go out and delegate and execute. And then their teams go out and delegate and execute. And then those leads teams go out and delegate and execute. We believe in speed of implementation. We believe in decisiveness. Uh, we know you're not going to make the right decision every single time, but we want you to make a fast decision here. If you're, it's the wrong decision, you'll find out soon enough, and you will course correct. And we believe in clarity of vision. Every team member, no matter how new they are, they know what our 10 core values are. They know exactly how many Fit Body Bootcamp locations we want, 2,500 locations by the year 2020 with under 1,000 owners because we want each owner to have multiple locations, which means we'll have a lean team, which means each team member will make more money. I'm not looking to have a row, you know, revolving door at, at my headquarters here. I want people who are going to stay long term. So I've got a 401k for them, health benefits, et cetera. I finally decided to man up in 2014 and become an effective leader. As entrepreneurs, you know this, man, we are great marketers, great salespeople. We know how to hustle and grind. But when you're trying to build an empire, 
You can't hustle and grind and market your way to building an empire. You, I started having anxiety attacks, panic attacks. My health started to suffer and uh, essential tremors. Try locking up and freezing, you know, just literally shaking for two, three minutes at a time. And your wife's looking at you going, what the hell is going <laughs> right. on with this guy? Um, I had an, a social media following. I had a email list, which I still do. And so if we needed more money. I needed a new car. We wanted to go on a fancy vacation. I created a new product, do a product launch. You know how, you know how the industry worked. But that's not an empire. That's that's maybe a business. I want, but in my book, I call it. You know, I was living off promotions. I was just one promo after another to pay the taxes, to pay for the new car, to to get ahead of payroll. It was just one promotion after another. And I said, what does it take to build a business that I could scale up and ultimately sell sell if I wanted to? Well, I'm in the fitness industry, and the only thing that would work in my industry is a franchise. And so I had to man up and become an effective leader, get clear on my vision, and build a high performance team of fighter jets around me so that we can scale this franchise. And I literally documented that whole process of how I went from a poor leader with unclear vision and at best employees who worked for me. Uh, and I define employees in that book as uh, people who clock in a little late, clock out a little early and do the bare minimum to keep their job. And now we have a high performance team and you look at a team and they're a, a very high performance group with a common goal and they want to win that goal, right? That's what a team does. They want to win that sport or activity. And so I've been fortunate enough to spend the last three, four years now becoming a better leader. And the more effective of a leader I become, the better my business grows, bigger impact, more money, all that stuff. But um, someone once asked me, so what day, do you remember the day you made that switch? I said, it's funny that you say that because it's really not even a light switch. It's more like a dimmer switch where I'm still evolving. And, and, and the great ones probably, have evolved their entire life. Yeah. That was, you just took the words out of my mouth. It's a work in progress and I'll probably peak, you know, the day I die. <laughs> right. That's a sign of a great, you know, leadership. I tell people, you know, I could grind it out with the best of them. Nobody's going to outwork me, you know, this, that, the other, whatever. Just tenacious and competitive and fill in the blank. But man, leadership, I, I thought working and, and strategizing was hard. Leadership is hard. And people want to own the company until they get given the keys and say, go on the company. And then it's like, oh, crap, what have I stepped into? And I've probably grown over the last year and a half more than I ever have in my entire life simply because of the leadership position that I'm in. And uh, man, that, that's where I tell people, if you really want to accomplish something, go take on a substantial leadership role. And you'll find out that working hard is noble and valiant. But man, leadership takes guts and uh, and it's not easy. Everyone wants a piece of what you have and you got a target on your back. Everyone thinks they can do it well. And you don't get along with everybody. Your personality is different. Than, I mean, you're very hard charging personality and not everyone responds well to that I'd, I'd say most people don't that are that are being led by you so man as we get ready to wrap up the podcast here tell us a little bit more about man up yes yeah so so the, it's really about three very specific things that can take any entrepreneur who knows that they've got a bigger potential to reach and are just frustrated they're not reaching their fullest potential and will guarantee that they will reach their fullest potential and those three elements are becoming an effective leader having clarity of vision and path for your business or your empire and, and building a high performance team behind you who can execute your vision. And when you don't have clarity, your team has one foot out the door at any given time. And if you don't have clarity, you don't have communication. And if you don't have communication, then you have an adversarial relationship with your team members, with your clients, customers. And so leadership is always the problem. Leadership is the solution. And this book, Man Up, is all about leadership for entrepreneurs who are struggling and know they have 
greater potential to reach. That's great. And where can we steer more traffic your way, your website, your blog, anything that you might have out there that uh, people can check out more about you? Yeah, really two places. And I appreciate that, Jared. Um, if you go to manup.com, you can get on the early bird notification list so that when the book comes out, the first thousand people who uh, get the book will also get a free six-week course on the essentials of manning up that, that I'll, I'll give out to anyone who gets on that email list. Um, number one. Number two, to, you can find me on all social media platforms at Bedros Koulian. And of course, the book Man Up comes out July of 2018. July of 2018. We're going to blink and it's going to be here. Guys, I loved having Bedros on the podcast today and hope you took a ton away from his peak performance message. Having more bandwidth in your life, really being strategic about the odds that you're up against and being able to blow past those in order to reach higher levels of peak performance. I loved it. If you guys would like to connect directly with me, the best way to do that is to head to info at success101podcast.com, shoot my team an email, or you can catch me in the world of social media on Twitter at Warren Jared, on Instagram at success101podcast, or on Facebook under the Success 101 community page. I'll catch you guys on the next awesome and rocking episode of the Success 101 podcast. Until then.